Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the Hulkcast. Good morning, good afternoon or good evening for wherever you may choose to tune into today's episode. It is so good to finally be back recording a preview after a few weeks away and to assure I returned with a vengeance, it was essential that the guest joining me today was extra special to make sure we returned with a bang. It is in fact not his first time on the podcast, in fact you could almost call it an annual affair at this stage. Three times in three years, soon he'll be demanding a wage for his efforts. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome back Sky Sports' Mark McAdam. How are you, Mark? <laughs> what an introduction. How do I follow that? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, let's get straight into it. Obviously, we're here to uh, preview the Villas game this weekend against Bournemouth. Obviously, a big follower of Bournemouth yourself. Um, you know lots about them. So let's get straight into it. Bournemouth 18th on 24 points and in the midst of a relegation battle at the moment. And I've, I've got the table here and... And what a battle it is. Anyone from 12th to, to 20th could go down. What have you made of Bournemouth's season so far? Yeah, it's quite remarkable, isn't it? The bottom of the Premier League. Um, nine teams, six points separating them. And every single weekend, some of those teams in the bottom three pull out a result. And the whole dynamic of it shifts and changes. And unfortunately, Bournemouth are one of those sides that are in that that nine, that clutch of nine teams that are in amongst it. And... Um, yeah, it's it's sort of frustrating and exciting, and all the emotions that are, are coming with you with football week in week out are you know what you're seeing at the moment. Now, Bournemouth season has been has been good at points, not so good at points, but I don't think there'll be too many Bournemouth fans that are surprised with the current situation and the predicament. We were unfortunate that the timing of our takeover happened between kind of the end of one season and, and halfway through the beginning of another. So we had one owner who'd invested, you know, a quarter of a billion quid over a number of years that was selling the club and moving on because it was time. And we had a new American that was coming in. But unfortunately, the takeover didn't happen until about sort of seven or eight games into the season, um, which meant that our investment in the summer wasn't what it would have been in the past. Um, we, we spent you know, 30 million quid, brought in a few new players. Most of them were free transfers. Um, so the start of the campaign was always going to be a challenge because we didn't quite have the strength in depth, but we knew that it would come because the new owner wanted to invest, wanted to back the manager. And that's exactly what happened in in um, in January. Um, obviously, we started the season with Scott Parker. He lasted just a few games before he was sacked, mostly to do with, with with comments away from football and, you know, what was going on. And then Gary O'Neill came in and we went from losing 9-0 away at Liverpool to drawing 0-0 at home with Wolves um, and then went on an unbeaten run of six matches. We had a, a bit of a sticky spell and then finished the first phase of the season with a couple of really good results against Everton. 
Uh, and uh, during the World Cup break, we were sat kind of, you know, mid-lower table and you, you were looking at it thinking, right, this is, this is, this is great. This is, this is decent. There's, there's nothing to worry about here. There's, there's room to build. And January's around the corner. Uh, and unfortunately, most of January and February wasn't great at all. We invested £75 million, brought in six new players. Um, you know, two or three of them looked really, really handy. Uh, but unfortunately, the results just didn't follow. We had a, a series of tough games. And we were just unlucky. Um, you saw it at, at the Emirates, 97th minute winner for Mikel Arteta's side. You saw it against Brighton, you know, an 87th, uh, 87th minute winner for them. Um, you know, we were we were up against sides. We, we just got picked at the last minute. But finally, last week against Liverpool, we got the job done. And um, that really was one result, but there'd been a series of really solid performances. So I think Bournemouth... I've had a great season in some respects. Um, a few more points on the board, and, and they'd be a lot happier. But the main thing is, is that we're we're in the shakeup. We've we've not been one of those sides like Norwich or Derby that have have been relegated by March. We're still very much in the fight, and there's still a very very strong chance that they'll stay up. I mean, I yeah, I completely agree with everything you said. Um, you look at the table, and you're three points away from twelfth with games in hand on teams like Nottingham Forest and Leicester. Uh, an Everton, sorry. So, you know, there's there's also big clubs down there whose expectations will have been to be a lot higher up the table to be competing, whereas I think Bournemouth are probably, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, quite happy that they've still got the chance to get themselves out of it. You know, they're competitive, they're playing good football and for any Bournemouth fans listening, maybe cover your ears, but I obviously, we speak regularly on Instagram and we spoke before the Liverpool game and I was saying, you know, how's the situation at Bournemouth? And your reply was, well, they're going down, but they're going down fighting. So, um, I mean, has that changed since the Liverpool result? You know, are you are you any more confident? You're not allowed to say things like that in a public <laughs> forum that I say to you privately. Um, I, you know, yeah, Bournemouth, Bournemouth staying in the division is going to be a huge challenge. And if they were to survive, it would be a, a monumental achievement by the players and uh, Gary O'Neill. Do I think they can stay up 100%? I think you've seen that. You know, we, we took three points off Liverpool. We took Arsenal right to the wire. No team's done that really this season in the, in the Premier League. I think if you look at like the Leeds game, the Tottenham game, the Brighton game, where they were so close to a point or three points, you add that six or seven points onto Bournemouth's tally and they're going to be up in and around mid-table with Aston Villa. So... Uh, you know they've they've definitely shown that they've got the the characteristics and the players and the quality to stay in the division. They've had some of their more difficult games recently against Man City, against Arsenal, against Liverpool. That's three tough games back to back for anyone in the division. Um, and I'd be quietly confident. I think as a Bournemouth fan, the only thing I really hope and expect is that we take the challenge to the last game of the season. If you can go into the last game of the season with a chance of survival in your own hands, then I think Bournemouth had a brilliant campaign and that gives them something to build on next season if they can they can stay up. Um, but yeah, it's always it's always going to be tough with Bournemouth, particularly now when you look at the Premier League, you know, you, you've got the big six. Um, you've got, you know, if you, if, you, if you sort of chuck Newcastle into that mix, it's a big seven. Then you've got, you know, Fulham, Villa, Brighton, Brentford. Those teams that are all chomping to try and get into the the top seven, top eight. And that doesn't even include the likes of Leicester and West Ham and Palace. 
you know, Bournemouth have got no right to be beating those sides, you know, at any stage. Um, but they have done in the past and they are doing right now. And, and that's that's all you want. And we've got some good young players at the t- in the squad. And there's an excitement about what's happening at the moment. And, you know, the new owner's come in with some energies. He's transforming things. And there's a buzz about the place. And, and that's something I haven't felt for a little while. And that's the good thing about whatever happens this season. I think we, we're starting something special and it's the start of a new era. I mean, yeah, I, I really feel for you because Villa were in your situation not that long ago and we were going, well, if we can take it down to the last day, then we'd be absolutely buzzing. I try to avoid cliches, but it is almost that territory now of you've got 12 cup finals left and every single one will count because the amount of teams down there, any points could see you stay, even goal difference, for example. Let's Definitely. Let's turn our attention to the reverse fixture. Uh, obviously, Bournemouth. Played Villa on why the don't we why don't we talk about the first fixture first, Seb? Well, yeah, unfortunately, we, it looks like we're going to have to. I was there as well on that day, sat in the away end, full of hope for the new season. Uh, and yeah, it, it didn't go too well. In fact, it went awfully for Villa. <laughs> 2-0 to Bournemouth, uh, the perfect return to the Premier League for you guys. However, a lot's changed since. Both got different managers now. You know, the style and uh, almost identity at the clubs are looking to almost have a big shift. And Gary O'Neill, I want to touch on him. It was quite a surprise almost to a neutral when he got the job permanently because there were there were rumours of Bielsa, there were rumours that, you know, Bournemouth were looking to appoint uh, a manager and not look to give it to Gary O'Neill. Was that an interesting decision for you? Do you think it's paid off? Yes, yeah, so Gary O'Neill um, came into the football club a number of years ago from Liverpool as a first-team coach. Um, so he had been around the group for, for quite some time. He'd obviously built relationships with everyone at the football club and the lads respected him. Now, there was no plan really for Bournemouth to sack Scott Parker, um, but it got to a position where they felt they, they had to, to, to let him go. And Gary O'Neill jumped into the hot seat really with just you know one game at a time as the mantra. And immediately he had, you know, 48 hours to prepare from a side getting beaten by Liverpool to playing Wolves at home and, you know, kind of transformed the team in a very short space of time. Um, his, you know, his first six games were unbeaten. They were scoring goals, they were keeping clean sheets and they were going up the table and they were showing everyone that actually, despite the, the lack of investment in the summer uh, for obvious reasons and, you know, the, the, the kind of recent form um, and the game against Liverpool, that he was a coach and a manager that could get something out of that squad and make them competitive. And he absolutely did that. And then they had a little bit of a sticky run. And we got to the point where the club was so close to the World Cup that they thought that, you know, there was no point appointing a new manager or a head coach or someone whilst they were so close to, to the World Cup. So they decided to stick with Gary until the end of the first phase of the season and then make a decision at the start of the World Cup as to who will be the new manager. They went out to look for managerial candidates and there's not very many managers that you'd say, well, he's perfect or, you know, he's perfect for this reason or he'll bring this or he'll bring that. It just got to a space where I think the club were a little bit like, well, Gary's done a good job. Um, And he won his last two matches against Everton uh, three, three, one, and four nil, I think, or four nil and three one. So anyway, something like that. And um, there was a um, a belief that he'd done a really good, solid job, and almost earned the right to become the Bournemouth manager and to give it a bash. And they went out to have a look. 
their search stumbled upon Marcelo Bielsa, who, of course, was, was brilliant with Leeds. He'd taken them from the championship, played this um, very particular style of football. And the club had basically two options. They didn't extend their search beyond Marcelo Bielsa because they th thought that he was the best manager available. And um, it was up to the new owner, Bill Foley, essentially, to say, you know, would you like to stick with Gary O'Neill or would you like to go with Bielsa? He'd met Gary, he'd watched training, they were unbeaten in six games, they'd won their last couple of matches, there was a real positivity about the place, and I believe he had earned the right to keep the team in the Prem, and um, I guess, you know, obviously that's what Bill Foley, the American owner, decided, so he was given the job. So it wasn't, you know, it was a tough decision, you know, if I was given that decision, I would have found it tough as well, because whilst Bielsa is brilliant, he, he brings in his whole team, it's more, far more expensive. He wants to control the football club. He wants to, to say who you're going to sign. He wants to put his stamp on it. And, you you know, the club loses control of that because he has to do it his way, which is his style. Um, whereas Gary would fit into the current system. All the recruitment staff could carry on doing what they were doing. There was still that level of control. Um, and he'd won games and done really well. So... It was a tough decision. And, you know, you, you could have appointed Bielsa and been bottom of the league. You could have appointed Bielsa and been ninth now. Um, you just never know. Um, but I certainly I don't think that the club made any mistakes. I, I definitely felt like Gary deserved the opportunity um, and warranted that chance. And, um, yeah, so it was, a, it was a bit of an interesting time when, at one stage, Bournemouth were close to their first ever foreign manager in the history of the club over a hundred years of history and for the first time ever you sat there and thought they might appoint someone um who's coming from abroad which would be a completely different shift from what the club's done in its entire history um but yeah i think gary's shown that he's you know he's got the quality in at the deep end as well for a premier league job but i think he's, he's done really really well i had no idea that was the case i i didn't mm. know that wow that's unbelievable you, you look at clubs like Southampton and obviously mm. they decided to hire a permanent manager and it didn't go very well, I think is a nice way of putting it, with Nathan Jones. Do you think potentially looking back at the end of the season, if you were to survive that drop zone, that you'd look back on that moment to appoint Gary O'Neill and almost as a show of solidarity and, and it be the key defining moment? It's funny, isn't it? Because all these... You know, moments, I think Bournemouth's biggest moment would probably be Gary O'Neill or Marcelo Bielsa. Um, but then, you know, in games and things, you know, and, and I still remember that they came at Villa Park with a goal that, that wasn't, you know. And if that had been correctly given, Aston Villa would have been in the Championship and Bournemouth would have stayed in the Premier League. And, you know, these these moments are so defining and we, we've seen a few Bournemouth seem to have had a lot with, with VAR this season or with last minute goals that have, you know, changed the outcome of the game quite dramatically. Um, so yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to think about the situation if Gary O'Neill hadn't been appointed and someone else had have come in. Um, but yeah, if Gary keeps this side up and, and does it in the nature in which they've been doing it recently in terms of the playing style and performances, um, I think there'll be a lot of people that have to eat humble pie because there's been a lot of Bournemouth fans that have been really unhappy with his appointment and the recent results. Um, but, I, you know, I really have no complaints over the decision that was made and what's been going on. And, and I, 
genuinely believe now that there's a real chance that the club can survive. Yeah, I apologise for the um, for the goal that wasn't. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I think just, VAR needs to, Hawkeye still needs to apologise for that one. Just a crazy moment. And it, like I said, knowing from experience, when you're down fighting for every single point, there's even more scrutiny on every single decision that's made and it feels like the whole world's against you. So let's turn our attention to January, a bit more recent. Obviously, Bournemouth went out, made a few signings and the three key ones I've got down here are Dango Otara, who I believe yep. has been brilliant for Bournemouth since he's come in. Uh, yep. 24 million, Casey, Tricky, came in from Lorient. I think he's looked really good. Then we've got Antoine Semenyo, who obviously me and you saw in the flesh when we were covering Bristol versus Millwall. He struggled to maintain his place slightly when for starting for Bournemouth. But again, you know, he's one that we know can score goals. So as soon as he finds the back of the net, it wouldn't surprise me if we see them went in regularly. And then Traore on loan from Sassaroli. Do you believe that that can be a real core to keeping Bournemouth in the league? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Definitely. I think you've identified the two key players that they signed in the transfer window. Um, you know, Dongo Watara is someone who looks incredibly exciting. He's got the ability to stretch defences. He's got pace and energy and a rawness that uh, I absolutely love. And he just brings a no-fear attitude. He's, he's a young lad. He's got no kind of, you know, preconceived ideas about how tough the Premier League is. He's just come and he just wants to play and he just wants to hurt teams. And he has looked like a consistent threat. And, and for a young lad to come into the Premier League and do so well immediately, at a club like Bournemouth, you know, you're not at Manchester United where... You're going to have 60% of the ball. You're at a club like Bournemouth where you've got to defend, you've got to work hard. And he's he's come in and, and done brilliantly. Um, I think, like you touched upon, me and you watched Anton Semenyo. In all honesty, if, if I was going to go and get a striker out of the championship, I was desperate for the club to sign Victor Yorkerez at Coventry. He's a player now I really like. And I think he could be, be an asset for a, a side in the Premier League. Um, but they decided to go for Anton Semenyo. Hasn't quite had a, a huge impact yet, but no question of, of his work rate and ability. And I think in, in time, he'll he'll prove to be a, a solid signing. I don't think he'll get the goals that perhaps you'd like from a striker. Um, but I still think he'll be a good squad player for us. Uh, and then the other one, Hamad Traore, again, another player on loan, but with the option to make it permanent, which I believe the club will do in the summer. He, again, looks like someone with real technical ability, someone that can play in those advanced midfield, midfield positions and someone that will just bring a little bit of flair to the side. Um, you know, obviously, 
brings a, a lot of experience from Syria, but again, young enough that that has that kind of mindset and the mentality to just impress in the Premier League. He just wants to take his chance. So I think there's there's a real a real nice mix of some of the players that we bought. The great thing is they're all young, so they can all develop and be moulded and be coached into better better players, um, which which I think is important. But but really successful business by the club um, in, in what they did in January. The owner backed the manager. They 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 know they spent big big dough according to you know Bournemouth's recent history. Um, and the other one as well, Ilya Zabani, who who came from. The Ukrainian international, I, I, you know, unfortunately he got injured in training, so he's not been available. But he is another one that was regarded as one of the best young centre backs in European football. So the fact that the club managed to get him on a deal, I think, could be significant, and and he could be a huge player for the the last sort of you know five six games of the season when he gets fit, when he gets used to the Premier League, and when he adapts. Um, but yeah, he could be another uh, sort of surprise signing. Um, but it'd be interesting if Bournemouth were to go down. I think there'd be two or three Premier League sides looking at a few of those players they've signed in January going, right, we'll snap them up um, because I think they'll be seen as real assets. But um, yeah, good business. Really good business by the club in January. It's really interesting that you mentioned Gokarez. You know, you can find so many gems in the Championship. Alex Scott, another one who is looking to move to the Premier League in the summer. <clears throat> so... A stat I've got down here, which you probably won't like to hear too much, is that Bournemouth haven't won two games on the bounce all season. Now, obviously, you've just come off the back of beating Liverpool and you, you watch a lot more Bournemouth than probably most of our, our listeners will. What can Villa expect from Bournemouth this weekend at Villa Park? I haven't won back-to-back games in the Premier League, but we have won back-to-back games this season. We beat Everton twice. Um, so, I'll just correct you slightly there, Seb. But... Um, I think um, you know there's there's there'll be such a confidence off the back of playing Arsenal and beating Liverpool that when they go into this Aston Villa game this weekend there'll be a belief that they can pick up three points. Um, it will be a challenge because it's at Villa Park and we know that that games at Villa Park are always are always going to be be difficult. And Aston Villa are a very different side to to the the one that faced Bournemouth at the start of the campaign. I think. You know, Aston Villa have recruited wisely. I think they've got a, you know, a really good manager who could, you know, possibly be the type of manager t- to take them back to the places that they want to go. You know, challenge for European football, season in, season out, play attractive style and brand of of football. And I just think that there's, um, you know, a different buzz and feel around the place at the moment at Villa Park. You get the feeling like they're they're content with what's going on and they believe in the process and the project. Um, obviously, they had a sticky spell with with the the three defeats against Leicester, Man City, and Arsenal. But really, you know, Man City and Arsenal, you you, you always expect those games to be a, be a challenge. Um, but they responded in the right way. I think that's always the key thing when when you have setbacks, when you have difficult runs. How do you respond? That's where you see the character of the players. That's where you see the ability of the manager to adapt. That's where you see a, a strength and a, and a resolute team, which is what you need. And then they go unbeaten for three games. So they're walking to the game confident. Um, I think the, the West Ham result might have just pulled back any any kind of sort of situation where they might have been a little bit overconfident. Um, so just rein in the, the, the kind of the mindsets and the mentalities again to go, right, look, focus now and they will look at that Bournemouth result and go wow 
you know, that's a, that's a side that can beat Liverpool. That's a, you know, that's a Bournemouth side that got beaten 9-0 by Liverpool earlier in the season. So I think it could it could just level things. Um, and I think it's one of those matches that would be, it'd be really tough to call. I think you could see either side winning it, which probably means it will end up a draw. But under the circumstances, I think Bournemouth would, would certainly take that. Aston Villa wouldn't, of course, uh, but it would keep them unbeaten. Uh, and I think that would be key. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you summed it up really well. I've just got to thank you for um, correcting me and keeping my ego in check, making sure I don't get too, <laughs> too big hey, for my boots. <laughs> I make mistakes every week on Sky Sports. So, um, uh, yeah, but no, it's just one of those things. <laughs> now, you touched on Villa. Um, I think it's impossible to mention the name Aston Villa without having Ollie Watkins next to it. On fire at the moment, 13 goal contributions, the same as last year. Hopefully for you, that's all correct. And I've, I've got that written down right. Um, now, <laughs> with the England team coming out next week, we'd like to think that maybe he'll be in with a shout with his form at the moment. Um, now, a question, slightly different question for you. Now, obviously, you spend most of your time in the gantry at games. If you had to swap that for the touchline this weekend, because obviously you know a lot about Bournemouth and you were asked to fill Gary O'Neill's boots, okay, in, in fact, no, if you were asked to fill Unai Emery's boots for this weekend, knowing what you know about Bournemouth, how would you set your Villa team up to beat them? How do you think would be the best way of getting a result? Wow, what a question that is. Um, I think, you know, clearly clearly you have to build the front three around Ollie Watkins. You know, his form recently, six goals in seven in the Premier League is is top class. And that's kind of what, the Villa fans have been wanting from him. You know, you see it in bursts. You see in moments where he, he goes on a little run, he scores some goals and you think, yeah, this is it. And he's going to kick into being that kind of 20-plus goal a season striker that they need. Um, so I, there's no question about his form um, going into this. So you have to build everything around him and what he's doing. You know, obviously, there's a, there's a real nice mix of players at, at, at Villa in those attacking berths. And you've got strength in depth as well, which I think is really important. You need to have those players that can, you know, can can hurt teams. You cannot rely on one player in the Premier League because if one player is off form, then you're going to really struggle. Um, obviously, you you know, Leon Bailey is someone that's been um, you know effective at times. Same with Buendia. I think you've got players that that can that can that can really hurt Bournemouth. The problem with Bournemouth is that they've got a, a nice balance of, of defensively being reasonably solid with pace. So you're not going to get done in behind. Uh, so you can't stretch the game in that way. But they've also got a lot of pace going forward. So if you, if you, if you get too high, you can get caught out by, by players that Bournemouth have. So you have to be really rigid and, and, and strict with, with your, with your press and you need to, to go forward together and defend together. Because I think if you get stretched, that would suit Bournemouth's style of football and their players. So I think that would be, you know, that's going to be a, a big factor. Um, I, I love, you know, I love what Villa have in, in Matty Cash. Um, you know, I was watching him for Nottingham Forest. Um, I loved him then. You know, Sabri Lamucci turned him from a, I'm a, a winger into a, into a fullback and an attacking fullback as well. So I think that would be definitely one of Aston Villa's biggest strengths this this weekend. Make sure you use that right hand side. Jordan Zamora, young left back, is is not 
involved at the moment because he's not signed a new contract. Lloyd Kelly's back in at left back. He's been injured a little bit recently. He's had a bit of a sticky spell. So that would be an area you'd probably go, right, that's that's Bournemouth's weakest side. That's where we can exploit um, the team. So I think, you know, that that combination down the right could be could be massively important for Aston Villa. Uh, but I think they need to be compact and, um, you know, make, make it a, a, a tough game. Congest the midfield, keep the ball, don't give it away. And, um, you know, I think there could be, I think it could be a really, really good game actually between two really good footballing sides, two tactic, tactically astute managers. And, um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's, it's such a diff- difficult one to call. Like many games in the Premier League this season, you know, I don't think there'll be too many people that will put this one on their betting slip as an, as an obvious win for either side, because I think it could be really, really close. Well, there you go, you know, Emery. If you're listening, that's that's how you do it. <laughs> no, no, no. That's how you you definitely don't do it. <laughs> now, you said it's a tough one to call, and you said it's almost impossible. So, I am going to make that job even more impossible for you by asking for a score prediction. I'm just going to go honest, and I'm going to say two-two. I think, I think it will. I think there'll be goals. I think there'll be high energy. I think there'll be excitement. I think there'll be twists and turns. I think Bournemouth can nick a couple of goals, but I, I do think Villa could could do the same. I think it could be one of those, you know, a real humding a Premier League match from end to end. Um, so now watch it be nil nil. Um, but uh, no, I, I think it could be. Uh, you know, I could be a thing. It could be a really, really good game. Uh, and I think Bournemouth will be a very, very confident side and, and a very different side to what their league table position suggests. Well, there you go. A lot to whet the appetite for this weekend. What about you? Oh, Come on, Seb. You wouldn't ask me. Um, you had to push me for an answer. I'd go 2-1 Villa. Whether that's my okay. head or my heart, I'm not yet to decide. But we'll come back to this on, on Saturday evening. And um, either I'll make sure that footage doesn't go in or I will I'll promote <laughs> it everywhere. That, that, that's a good thing about this podcast is I've got all the power. Now, Last question of the podcast, and this one is my personal favourite. So we always like to end the podcast on a non-football related question. And each person okay. that comes on passes it down to the next person. So the okay. question for you today is, if you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that is a bit random. And I've had no uh, no time to think about that. Um, yeah, even better. Um, I... My my two favourite animals are tigers, and this is going to sound very different, but I love a deer. Now, I, I live near a forest, so I go walking every week, and when I see a deer, it's the highlight of my day. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I can't give you one, but um, there couldn't be more opposite, um, especially when tigers eat deers and, and antelope and those kind of things. So, yeah, there you go. Didn't expect that. <laughs> no, no, you're right. I, I didn't expect that, but a, a great answer nonetheless. And the best thing about that question is seeing people's faces as they're put on the spot. Um, <laughs> now, again, it doesn't get any easier for you. If you could think of a question to be passed down to the next episode for me, that would be brilliant. Oh, wow. Jeez. Um, no, you know, I spend my life thinking about questions uh, to ask footballers and managers and football fans and people that work in sports. And you'd think, having worked in the industry for over twenty years, that I'd be able to come <laughs> up with with something. Um, I mean, it, it can be right. Anything. What if you could have if you could have a superpower? 
what would it be? Brilliant. I mean, yeah, it fits the criteria. It's not football related. Perfect. The other day we had, um, do you tuck your shirt into your trousers, which was probably the weirdest one we've had on here. The other yes. one, actually, I need to bring one up to you because the other one we had was, do you put the milk or the cereal in first? And I thought there's only one answer, surely. Um, well, funnily enough, I don't, I've never eaten cereal. So I've never, never once in my life had that dilemma. Wow. But I would have thought my favorite you would always put the cereal in first and then put the milk in afterwards. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's kind of how it works, isn't it? But it's like the tea bag, like the, the milk and the tea bag and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Does but, it actually um, make any difference? Because it all ends up mixed in anyway. Wow. Surely you'd get the ratio wrong if you put the milk first. Not really. I don't know. We're, we're, we're but you, you just take the tea bag out when it's ready. I don't know. There's a there's a case for every side, isn't there? But either way, okay. if you put the cereal in first, uh, that is the correct way, in my opinion. We've even got a non-cereal eater to to confirm that for us. So sorry, sorry. Um, Look at this. Hard hitting football chat. <laughs> exactly. Riveting questions here on the whole. The cast. stuff you really want to know. Exactly. Exactly. And unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. I'll let you go and rest, Mark, although I'm sure that won't be the case, as I believe he is, in fact, the busiest person in mankind, which makes me even more grateful for the time given to me today. I'm sure this needs no recap, but if you aren't already, go and follow Mark on Twitter or Instagram at Mark McAdam TV. If you're new around here, make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at 7500 to Hulk. I've been Sebastian and thank you for listening. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.